0: The rise of digital communication technologies has impacted on all aspects of contemporary life. One area that has had increasing visibility in the last decade is that of activism and social movements. Given the necessity of operating beyond the control of traditional media institutions and seeking to challenge and transform key areas of social life, a digitally-networked public sphere, as one sociologist described it, has come to shape emerging social movements. From the protests in Gezi Park in Istanbul to Black Lives Matter, the ability to quickly initiate and stage protest has been an unprecedented aspect of contemporary campaigning. Hello and welcome to the Geo Media podcast from Karlstad University. My name is John Lynch and today I talk with Emiliano Trere. Reader in Data Agency and Media Ecologies in the School of Journalism, Media and Culture at Cardiff University in the UK. He is the author of the book Hybrid Media Activism published by Routledge in 2019. I'm Emiliano, I'd like to start then with a perhaps a straightforward question: What is
1: digital activism? Straightforward, but not easy to answer. It's uh, I've got a comprehensive kind of definition for me. It's uh, every form of activism that is somehow mediated digitally, that has to do with the digital, and the digital nowadays is. Many things, of course. uh, The internet is part of that, but it's everywhere. It's mobile phone, other kind of digital technologies. uh, uh, Also, it could be from digital slides to uh, digital, uh, um, any kind of digital device, uh, tablets, uh, but also formats. And so, it's it's a big universe. Of formats, of practices, and of uh, artifacts, uh, and really, when we say digital now, it's uh, we encompass uh, so, so many phenomena, so many, so many practices, and the and and I would say on the activism part is the is the activity of trying to affect some kind of change, some kind of I say political change, but also I've been. I've been looking at you know, acts that can can somehow be regarded as political, but they're not explicitly political uh, act acts of engagement. So I, I've got a very comprehensive way of uh, looking at it. And um, it's both individual and collective. So we got like the individual activist. It can be myself from my signing and uh, e-petitions. From here, or we can be, you know, social movements or an activist collective, engaging in, in in kind of digital activism, over more sustained, long-term action. Uh, this is how I usually deal with the with the concept in a really flexible way and as a repertoire of different devices, actors, and practices.
0: So. Implicit, I think, in the, the, a term such as uh, digital activism, it is a, a suggestion then that the process of social changes is, is is different if it's mediated through these technologies. I mean, is it, when we talk about digital, act, digital activism, are we talking about essentially just uh, uh, various forms of communication that, it, that essentially organize people in much the same way as they've always been organized? Or is there something different to the idea of of digital activism?
1: That's another important question. It strikes an important point in the debate. Um, I think the first thing to say is that activism has always been mediated. (laughs) Technologically. So technology, uh, I mean, I always say to my students, like... uh, writing is a technology. So, uh, we just forget about it because it's ingrained within the fabric of uh, our own existences to a way that is not new anymore or is not surprising anymore. But everything has been mediated from the start. So, political transformation, social change uh, have been mediated since the very uh, appearance of human beings on Earth. Uh, What has changed is that you know, with digital activism, the extent to what these actions are now being uh, digitally enabled or like intersect with the digital, and in data activism, how they intersect with datafied systems and uh, and data and algorithms and, and so on. So the mediation is not new, and I and I think it's this is why it's really hard to say what has changed, the continuities and the and the. And the kind of disruption to what how it was before you know so there's like a big change but we can we can say uh, that that there have been changes uh, in some you know in the scale of things in the in the virality of how things get spread and uh, and the fact that people can actually have uh, uh, some kind of uh, and, and in the way campaigns have been carried out this is something that you know, and before the so-called digital age, activism was different. But we also have to be uh, sensitive to the continuity. So the fact that you know it, it has not replaced offline activities, it has not replaced uh, protest in the streets, in the square. The importance of being there with the bodies. It has not taken our bodies out of the context. In fact, it has complemented them in many ways. I would also say that it it has not changed leadership uh, uh, radically, as some claim. In fact, I'm more keen to say, together with uh, uh, scholars like Paul or Gerbaudo, that it has somehow reconfigured leadership, but that leadership has not disappeared. Uh, in terms of organization, I will do the same. It has changed leadership uh, organization, sorry, in some ways, in some direction, but it's not completely uh, erased the, uh, the necessity to have organization. And I could say the same regarding collective identities. In fact, I've been I've been uh, arguing for some time now that uh, these the need for collective identities is still there, even in in digital activism. And we have not witnessed some kind of uh, uh, eras- erasing of all these categories that we have been using for so much, for so long, with social movement studies, for example. So I think it's a, uh, we really need to be attentive to continuities and disruptions. Uh, I, I know that we media st- in media studies, we are so fascinated with, you know uh, the disruptions, but uh, there needs to be a reckoning that perhaps we are in a stage where we can be definitely more realist and more pragmatic and and a bit more conservative to what has really changed and not, And sometimes it's not so, I don't know, cool and fascinating as we would have loved it to be, you know.
0: I think one thing that comes to my mind in this context really is that undoubtedly what this technology facilitates, uh, as has been widely discussed, is a certain kind of acceleration. And I think it was uh, uh, Tufeki who talks about how, you know, what what we have with these new technologies is the ability to sort of scale up much faster um, than before but in one sense to me there are kind of problems with that because the you know previously and perhaps this is just partly a generational thing but the pace of building a movement pre-digital involved periods of in argument persuasion engagement building and that kind of key quality of reflection, you know, we were trained to have to challenge our ideas by going out and face to face hostile people and the arguments that you would get. And in that sense, then movements seem to have uh, a depth, shall we say, uh, and and an endurance. Whereas, I, I mean, as Tufiki says, that there is a danger of with these movements they rise very quickly, but then there are. are, are uh what Tufeki calls these tactical freezes there's a fragility to this so is this something that is um you know a fundamental change and, and a problem in that
1: regard well that's that's really interesting that you are that you're using to i really i really like her work it's really grounded in empirically and uh, i think it's true in a way that we can say i mean uh, some of these elements or you know some of these possibilities that they have now it's uh, it's the rapidity the which with they can gain i don't know consensus or something can actually become um i don't know like Part of uh, you know can generate some kind of effects in society and can actually have a have a big can resonate with more people, yeah, with with a speed that was unconceivable in in a short amount of time. It also exposes them to the fact that they are more ephemeral. You know, she talks about the ephemerality of this and the difficulty of like the second phase. So the first phase is like this effervescent, and that kind of emergence phase where it's it's incredibly powerful. It can be a power incredibly powerful for some, but then you know the 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 phase of actually building more traditionally and uh, organically. It can lead to you know we have seen the. A downward spiral for, for many of this uh, um, and so it's really more difficult but saying that uh, digital technologies have somehow an effect only in kind of uh, uh, some dynamics that were there before it's somehow also uh, not giving them the full justice I think we are also looking at a certain point at a different scenario so it's true, some, some, some phenomena and some of these dynamics were there before and they're being magnified, they're being uh, pushed forward in different ways. But uh, I think that the mere fact that we're seeing digital activism playing out mostly also on corporate social platforms needs to take into account that these are actors that shape collective action and so otherwise we risk the you know, we run the risk of downplaying the role of uh, in, of these kind of platforms as mere vessels or intermediaries that they don't have a real account. And I think that some scholars have done so. It's like things are changing, organization is changing because it's on these platforms. Yeah, well what about the codes? What about the politics? What about the uh, the, they are the infrastructure for ninety percent or more of digital activism. So it's not just some phenomena or some dynamics that have now been faster or or scaling up. It's uh, it's uh, like more effective, and then we got the ephemerality. Is also that they, these actors shape to a certain extent the conversation that can be uh, have the censor, the they can sway you know public opinion in some way. So that's the old <laughs> debate in platform studies and, uh, uh, that I think and then also you know to a certain extent in critical data studies and algorithm studies that some that now are absolutely key to understand digital activism, the infrastructure part uh, meeting the platform, part in this. So I think this is something that it's uh, it's new to a certain extent, because if you remember, you know, the old 90 debate, uh, it was basically about building alternatives, which is not that they have disappeared right now, you know, alternative infrastructure and all of that. But we need to reckon with the fact that most of digital activism is within these environments. What are the consequences Uh, consequences that most of the time activists have have been also uh, dealing with in different ways around the world.
0: To take an example then, because I think that, you know, as you say, all of this resolves down to uh, particular situations and uh, movements, etc. If we take an example such as the yellow vests in France, I mean, is that, which which has, (laughs) from everything that I've seen, has quite a You know is on the streets it's confrontational it's been violent people have been very badly injured it seems to have shaken the kind of um confidence shall we say of the french state in all sorts of ways i mean is is that a movement that has been shaped by the sort of communication technologies i know my understanding is that it was initiated by a kind of online petition and things but does that exemplify any of these processes in one way or another
1: it's an interesting example i haven't followed that uh, in terms of which kind of digital uh, i i know that like you were mentioning it was there was an initial call like and uh, possibly then uh, went to the streets what i know because um in my previous research i was looking also at the difference between spain and france for example mm-hmm. is that france has been a bit slower and you know my maybe you know then <laughs> this podcast will be listened by french scholars or other looking at that and say no you're you're completely wrong it's just that we have been doing this and and i and i would like to know that really but um, uh, especially Spanish activists were pointing out that there's, there was some sort of resistance within the protest culture in France to some kind of technological development that in in Spain were actually much faster and more taken for granted. And so I, some, I explained that with, uh, you know, but I, I didn't really dig into the, French example. So I know the Spanish culture very well. I've done a lot of research on that, and I sp- and I'm fluent in. I mean, it's uh, I'm 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 trilingual. One of the the languages it's it's like my Italian. So I don't have any problem in digging <laughs> into that uh, very deeply. And so I know that you know free culture, open culture, the whole uh, technological scene in, in Spain is very much different. So I explained that in terms of looking at different digital slash protest culture in each country and seeing how they are more likely to engage with adapt to that environment and it's something that you feel also if you are like on those uh, meetings uh, back in the day with the 15 m in 2011 and then afterwards I could sense that and maybe that partly could explain that but then it's also the nature of the protest So you have so many, you know, you have uh, protests and sectors of the population. And and when you have youngsters usually mobilized, it's a different kind of feel because they're usually more prone to use uh, uh, digital technology as part of their everyday life, whereas others are a bit more either reluctant or they they don't think they are so effective um, and maybe they will always uh, then use other kind of more traditional repertoires. Uh, but of course, in the case of the of the Yellow West, well, they needed to make a point that I think, you know, for which being in the streets and being also confrontational like that is the most effective, I could also say. So, uh, in that case, you know, so many things enter into the to the analysis and technologies related to all these aspects so the actors involved uh, the time and the technologies available at the pers- you know point in time, the political context uh, even in the same country it can change a lot and <laughs> when uh, when and who is in charge which kind of uh, uh, you know point in time is that, uh, uh, carried out. so. But the only thing I know is that, you know, these different kind of protest culture, and I don't know how it has evolved in the French context. I, I will actually be curious. This is something that, thanks for the question, because it's something that has sparked me some curiosity regarding, you know, the the way they, you know, act. And if... They have a different way of actually and different visions. You know, I talk about imaginaries, right? So, what about the French imaginaries of, of protest? Uh, we need to know more, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I find the example of the the LFS interesting because for me it exemplifies something of, of what you might call the the sort of messiness of, of of movements that it's it's easy to to focus on those very. Well, you know, conventionally kind of left and liberatory and very clear, but with something like Yellow Vest, which is perhaps initiated by people in the countryside rather than the urban around the price of petrol and mobility. And it cuts into class and all sorts of things. And I think it posed problems in all sorts of ways there. But I suppose in a way that leads me to another question, really, which is, of course. I mean we can talk about activism in the in a left sense, but we can also talk about activism in a right sense and uh, nationalists and, and and racists can can organize in this way. Is is the social media platforms uh in one sense a sort of uh does it facilitate more or easier those kind of ideas in a certain way. Certainly when we talk about things about the sort of affective nature of things um, and so on, um, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a big issue, I think, to Because again, I think to me, once it goes back to that idea of how these technologies close down very often on reflection and thinking, and it's, you know, it's reactive and it's uh, image based in certain ways. Does that lend itself to any particular kind of political position do you think
1: well another super question that it's at the center of the debate well first of all it's um, well we we call it in a we have these um, forthcoming article and it, it's also part of the book i'm writing with my friend tiziano bonini at the university of siena on algorithms algorithmic resistance across many domains, we got this book with MIT Press forthcoming, hopefully next year, if reviewers (laughs) like it, uh, where we call this uh, in in reference to algorithmic activism. So activism, but you can apply this to digital activism, the agnosticism of algorithmic activism, meaning that, you know, for some time also, especially we ourselves are are, are responsible for that in a way we we, we come many of us scholar activists we come from movements or usually radical leftist or left-leaning movements and we try to uh, then when we move to academia or we are already on academia or we sympathize with the, with them so uh, we also have this access that it's so easy to not, not, not super easy all the time but easier to to do research on on these movements and not all, not only us uh, from the more digital activism media studies kind of research but also social movement studies always been like that so there is this tendency to to look at successes and uh, and and then uses of technologies by movements of the left but then i i think everything was shaken you know since 2016 maybe the trump thing was and the election was really the big a wake-up call in terms of, uh, look, uh, these kind of technologies and, uh, and all these uh, uh, universe of uh, digital possibility is being really leveraged to great effect by right-wing, uh, xenophobic, uh, uh, and, and anti-feminist, the misogynist, the kind of uh, voices, forces, powers, uh, alliances, in ways that are really effective and so this is part of the move to this more realist ambivalent and agnosticist position that I think we, we should have now in terms of uh, the fight is that it's not only uh, the powers from above institutional uh, against kind of more contentious actors But within the contentious actors, we got different forces at stakes, which we haven't recognized for a while. Now, uh, some authors think there's some sort of elective affinity between, uh, uh, I don't know, populism and or these forces and digital media for for exactly, and I think you could say this in terms of... uh, uh, Algorithmic visibility is what they crave and uh, some, and sometimes uh, the dynamics of populism or some of the dynamics of populism and the dynamics of how these, uh, the affordances of some of these uh, digital platform uh, work are, have a connection. And so it's it's even easier for them to find that balance, you know. Not a lot of time for discussion, amplification of uh, um, instead of democratic debate, amplification of popularity, which is sometimes artificial. You know, all the research carried out on that. Uh, um, some call it, you know, the Oxford people call it computational propaganda. Uh, whether you call it, you know, I've called it the algorithmic undermining of dissent and the algorithmic amplification of popularity. But, you know, it's the same thing. It seems that there is a connection or call it elective affinity. I think Gerbalo called it, you know, populism, a, uh, Paolo called it an elective affinity between affordances on one side and the characteristic of populism. So it, it seems that it's actually maybe uh, leaning on the right-wing side, actually, especially in some cases. But I would say that the, the, the battle and the struggle is open. It's a battlefield. What we are more aware of now is that this is a battleground of different forces where forces of the left are not by their own essence or their own nature privileged in any way. And I think that was a big wake-up call, you know, not just the Trump thing. For me, the wake-up call was before because I was in Mexico at the time. And for me, it was looking at the election in 2012. Uh, So Latin America was really ahead of the curve in terms of, unfortunately, in terms of online and digital propaganda. So we could see already that the, the powers that be, the institutional power, and many of the conservative forces were really ahead in leveraging these technologies. So I think now we are in a position to say and I'm thinking also Jean Shradi, uh, Shradi with the the book. Well, I don't remember exactly, but she analyzed class and how the other traditional kind of categories play within, uh, you know, traditional digital activism. Saying, "Hello," I mean, it's not that all these. Uh, uh, emancipatory liberatory claims that we have in terms of uh, uh, also people without a lot of power being able to be online and make a and make an impact also that one is something that aspect is something that we have had uh, a wake-up call about so I, I know it's it's been a bit discouraging <laughs> but it's it has contributed to have a more pragmatic realist uh, and ambivalent vision and also of what we can actually do yeah
0: here in Sweden, we have uh, an election this year and uh, the what is now the third biggest party, the Sweden Democrats, um, you know, they have a YouTube presence which dwarfs all of the other parties together, you know, they have invested so much in that. And I think there's there's something worth, I, I think, investigating in that kind of idea, really, because it's not simply just that the the, the the Social Democrats, uh, the left have not um, thought about media content and things there's something about how i think the, the the nature of of that uh that platform facilitates something you know uh so I, and i and i think yeah i think for sort of democratic politics it's important to investigate in sticking with this idea of france in one sense i'm thinking because there is a certain paradox in the sense that perhaps so many thinkers around communication and technologies have come from a sort of French tradition and and certainly I draw in my work very much on Bernard Stiegler and and one thing that seems useful very uh, you know the the heart of of his work certainly because he has this notion of technology which I think you've sort of articulated as something which is in one sense intrinsic to to humans in different ways Um, but this idea of the pharmacological that you know that there is both poison and cure at work here seems to me to be to be useful do you also think that you know his warnings around digital culture as affecting what he calls a prolet a new proletarianization a stripping of uh, skills if we have think of that in an expanded sense uh, around thinking and doing is that i mean do you see that as something that
1: you know exists Wow, interesting that you mobilize? I, I like uh, uh, his his writing. I think is fascinating. is really kind of captivating. I, I'm I'm I, I think that we need more of of that because sometimes you know uh, media scholarship can be super engaging or super dry, <laughs> and really and I love. Uh, uh, th- this is what I, I always say about McLuhan. I mean, you can say whatever of the man, but uh, of the theory. But uh, there was a way of engaging people with through the writing that sticks there, and this is what. Uh, it's not that we have lost that, but we need to capture that. You know, the, and maybe I mean this will open up a lot of reflection about writing itself, of writing, you know, uh, as uh, not just what you're communicating, but I don't know, something more the essence of writing. But having said that, I don't know, you know, I I certainly um, see the, I certainly share with with them the the intrinsic nature of technology. I mean, we have been always mediating and this is something that is uh, part of our essence in many ways, so not just as a tool, as as you know, I've been really uh, criticizing you know the tool metaphor especially i mean not 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 just i, I can i can you know see his utility as in you know <laughs> the utility of the instrumentarian uh, way we can use it as a tool ourselves of these metaphors this way of seeing media but i guess it's uh, as just like any other metaphor is uh, obfuscate other part which is the way it uh, can engender uh, more profound changes in in, in ourselves, not not in the in human beings, you know, not not just in you know, we're not the same. <laughs> uh, in uh, in using those technology, we change as well. So we mutually shape each other. I'm I'm definitely more on that line. In terms of the proletarization of uh, with that, uh, I have my doubts. Uh, I. I'm more cautious. Maybe, you know, it's one of those questions that if you ask me this 10 years ago, I I will give you a different answer. (laughs) I don't know if I'm growing older. I'm I'm growing old. But uh, I I tend to be more cautious about it. I've come to a point where maybe regarding this, uh, I um, and and it's probably the same with data. Uh, I always try to separate the... I mean, And this is another kind of difference that we make in the forthcoming book that I was talking about, Um, resistance to and resistance through. So, you know, we are fighting always this this fight along two axes. We fight against the systems as more in a kind of a macro way, as kind of stakes and uh, that we need to fight against as uh, as digital systems, uh, uh, unequal data systems. Uh, And uh, on the other side, we fight through them because we need to uh, use them as repertoire, as social movements do and kind of game them, reconfigure them. Uh, And and in that sense, I'm kind of hopeful uh, in a Foucauldian way where there's uh, power, there's resistance, there are cracks in the system. But in terms of really affecting the structural, well, I'm less optimistic. I'm kind of, these cracks are always there until they're not probably in the real future. I've always been optimistic on that sense because I know that there's resistance and and that a new kind of um, uh, I don't know if to call it class, but a new uh, it's it's something that is more spread than it was ever before and this kind of engagement and this understanding of the cracks. But at the same time, it uh, not it not often escalate to a structural systemic change that maybe can reverse this and maybe what we need is just a big old school revolution <laughs> because I don't know how else maybe these cracks cannot really affect the old system It's not inevitable because I've always kind of fighting against this sort of inevitability I see it as a myth of uh, another myth of the whatever digital society or guru scholars but uh, but i'm not as hopeful probably as 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 i as i was before i'm not but i'm not so pessimistic as people you know claiming that everything is now is under complete you know capture either so yeah possibly I need to go back to Stiegler then, you know, you know, thanks for the, you know, for, because I, I, I need to see more connection maybe. And I think there are doors that can be opened in that, especially in the pharmaceutical uh, uh, an ambivalent and kind of uh, maybe impossible dilemma that it's impossible to disentangle, you know, just because it's a dilemma, you know, it's just always been there and maybe we're trapped in it.
0: I realized yesterday I was waiting for a train on the platform and I was reading Stiegler's article on technology and I realized I was reading it on my new iPhone 13 and I I was somehow (laughs) exemplifying the good or the bad or what was what was going on there but um, I do want to explore a little bit more this idea because you talk about uh, uh, algorithmic antagonism and algorithmic activism and, and for many um in this field algorithms is uh, and the uh, algorithmic capitalism uh, 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 people usually when they talk about often maybe i'd say usually perhaps in my experience people are usually fearful of social engineering of uh, this sort of adorno's idea of the total subsumption under you know, and the engineering of desire. So precisely what you're saying is that, uh, you know, the, 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 the sheer infiltration of these technologies from almost birth now, the, 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 you know, I've seen babies prams with screens propped up and things like this. I mean, and and certainly the gen, you know, the generation that we have that the the smartphone is just, intrinsic to their to their uh, way of life are we in a situation or you know and, and this is something i think we have to face and confront are we in a situation of sort of total symbolic capture by capitalism in this way um or you know when i i, I have i'm i'm reading you know i'm reading a text on my phone and i'm probably using you know as they used to say about the human brain 1% of its possibility but it's an incredibly sophisticated machine for recording for editing for distribution are we also empowered by this are we missing something with this idea of of algorithmic
1: sort of capture yeah thanks for that I, this is this connects very well to what we were saying and i i think that the old thesis of the book that is forthcoming with Tithiana on, uh, which we have been working for like three years now. And uh, it's that the answer is, are, to, are we in a regime of complete total capture? Is no. And it's not no, because that kind of regime cannot exist. Poss- I mean, it, it, it could be a possibility in the future. But I think in the present, from what we have seen through our empirical work, and examples around the world, which we've been collecting, in the realms of labor, in the realm of uh, uh, culture, and in the realm of activism, and politics in general, is that the cracks that uh, there are there and the possibility uh, of uh, not being completely subsumed or captured are multiple and and especially so, first of all, there are in all realms, and so we have investigated influencer. But I'm not talking about you know big ones, I'm talking about the people that try to make a bit of money on top or things using the algorithms, and even people that makes a bit more of that money. But you know, in general, and we have investigated gig workers, we have investigated activists who rely on algorithms to pursue political transformation, and we'll look at. You know many of this and, and in different contexts in the world from india to mexico uh, to china and um, and and and, uh, and europe and different places in europe they all say that there there's always some level of resistance and appropriation and reconfiguration of these platforms everywhere and this is something that is done that is being done on, a, on an everyday basis and this is the other thing it's a mundane thing so we we we, we used to, to think about the algorithms some kind you know algorithms out there to kind of manipulate us or you know the big thing you know as in the same way that we used to think about AI as in some kind of Skynet you know I do love sci-fi and you know I got a whole module on black mirror <laughs> which is by far my most successful one because they look at the title and they're like fascinated by it and then I hit them with theories and <laughs> then they're, they're less happy. But, uh, you know, AI, Skynet, Terminator, the big thing, we're gonna, you know, go for you. Well, no, it's something more subtle and as you were saying, you know, these frictions, these kind of engagements are every day are mundane. We are already in that, but as but not only are we living, yeah, we're living in Soviet capitalism, but we also we are already experiences, and we have been for some times experiencing and living through the cracks of it. So, as many actors uh, experience from the engagement with Spotify <laughs> algorithms for you know trying to get the best playlist or. To the trying to get your son into the best school and maybe there's an algorithm kind of thing to the health related things to the financial system to the gig workers trying to get the best deal or you know not trying to get screwed by some kind of platform for their own and then unionizing but we are all into this it's already here but The good news is that resistance has been here for some time, too. So I think that we're witnessing what we have been witnessing all along in the history of media, which is we have been looking at uh, where where a new technological development has been trying to capture this and, of course, capitalism, you were mentioning, has has always tried to commodify basically anything and and to capture uh, everything. This is what the scholars of data colonialism say is trying to extract all the data from us every possible aspect of our, you know, and trying to deprive us of autonomy. What, but what they don't really dig into is that, you know, resistance, it's not like a, a clear cut distinction between, you know, trying to extract and the people resisting that is just something that filters into our everyday life and to which we resist every our <laughs> we are we have been doing this for a while sometimes these escalate to kind of more what i was describing as resistance too but resistance through these systems is pervasive as much as the surveillance that is being uh, uh, placed and um, kind of enforced upon us so that's—I don't know if it's a sign of hope, but we are really being Foucauldian on this, not a not um, Weberian. In, in that, you know, power is and, and resistance are always the facets of uh, uh, the two face of the faces of the same coin, and uh, reality tells us so. You know, in many ways, resistance is already here. Then what where we are going from here you tell me I don't know well I
0: get the impression sometimes in the UK you might be heading towards some kind of professional algorithm for university lecturers in your your black mirror module (laughs) you might need to make more popular if you want to uh, increase your rating on your professorship there so I mean the impression I get in one sense that when we think about algorithms at that level we're really talking about what you might call a black box technology. You know, I mean, you can't mess with the with the code. We don't really we don't see it in, in terms. Are you saying then that it's really about subverting its kind of inputs and outputs in a certain way? That's what that's what we need to do.
1: The algorithms of these platforms are, as you say, black boxed, opaque but uh, the engagement with the algorithms that and and what as a qualitative researcher I look at is not the code of the algorithm per se which is impenetrable. I'm not even doing reverse engineering. What we look at is how people perceive them, how people use them and it's it's really a question of uh, try and fail. So the algorithmic awareness, you know, uh, the way uh, or the way people experience them, people know them through experience. So, and it's incredible though, what people can know about algorithms through experience. So, one is individual experience that is like, okay, it's affecting me like this. The shifts are like this, uh, like movements. Okay, I can use it in these particular hours. I can maybe move like this. If I do this visually, it will give me that. And and uh, and so I can do it not just because I know the code, but because I know the output. I know uh, and the outcome. I know what how it will react. So this is how we know these um, um, almost impenetrable uh, technologies. But then there is also a collective side, which we call algorithmic solidarity. And in fact, we got a paper out right now with uh, my former PhD students um, and and Tiziano. Uh, it's called the emergence of algorithmic solidarity. So collectively people are trying to understand together and exchange tips about how these systems work and they're going to work and now they could benefit them or not and now they could change to be better. And so they could ask that. And so these is uh, the traditional forms of solidarity that we have seen around you know, the working of machines in factory but right now they're being deployed around and if there was a a way to to formulate this we had resistance to through and around (laughs) and so they will be around so the the traditional forms of bonding and solidarity and exchange of information regarding the workings of these technologies and of algorithmic systems that, uh, that they are and you will be surprised of how much things can be learn from uh, exchanging this from uh, meetings from tips and tricks and from the experience the more they share the more they can get out of this but of course you know it's uh, it's always a way of trying to disentangle something that is uh, uh, purposely uh, you know uh, dark and uh, opaque and impenetrable but you know uh, and in some cases where you know there have been requests to make it public and to make it scrutinizable as we know uh, that have been successful and have been able to reverse some kind of decision that are not magical not automatic not originating from some kind of uh, you know uh, withered, uh, but uh, people that make that kind of decision. So I think that because they are so pervasive they are so incredibly entrenched in our society and uh, now uh, many of the dynamics that we saw around um, other technologies are and have to inevitably do and engage and deal with algorithms to try to understand them and to fight back in many ways. So this is what I was trying to, you know, to say. This is not the only way into them. But it's a qualitative uh, way of getting insights uh, into how they work.
0: Thanks. The, the the last area, then, I'd I just like to explore a bit um, with you. You talk about social imaginaries in, in your book. And um, in the last few years now, I've, I mean, my most recent work was to do with television series and science fiction is a, is a key part of that. Um, so to me there is something very important in the idea of of the very uh, of the very possibility of imagining other futures and and other ways of living and so on and to me the i don't know i think you know television has been a, a useful area for exploring some of those things could you just say something then about the uh importance in in your formulation of this idea of social imaginaries and and because i i think for me in one sense again perhaps i'm sort of working within a a sort of stieglerian idea but i was also uh i've also been sort of intrigued not necessarily in complete agreement but with the um uh, with the idea of this new spirit of capitalism that, since the 60s, there has been a certain kind of liberation in terms of creativity and, and imagination. Is that something that you think today we can look to as as a source of, of inspiration in different ways?
1: Yeah, thanks for the question. I mean, it's, it's fascinating for me, this area, um, for various reasons. And, and one is what you were saying at the beginning of the question, which is the link between social imaginaries and construction of the future. So it's, uh, for example, in data studies, this uh, report has, has talked about uh, data data futures. Um, Beers talk about the data gate and data frontiers. This idea that you know there's this shaping what can become and this. And these these points to the creative side, I think, of social imaginaries. How they, they operate as sort of uh, template for action, you know, then and for, for, for future action, and how they shape, you know, concrete action policies, whatever kind of scenario. So I love these these way of you know investigating them. Uh, and uh, and the link also to what you were saying to TV or maybe you know and to sci-fi as a genre as well for me it's always been pivotal because uh, how how these uh, uh, scenarios came to uh, how they could imagine this and uh, in their own time especially I don't know I'm I'm am I'm really a fan of sci-fi of the '50s and the golden age and uh, how could they you know sometimes I i think maybe some aliens was was trying to uh, so many ideas about the future and now horizons that we are now facing nowadays and in fact this is how i use black mirror as a sort of twilight zone of the of the new age you know and maybe we can talk about this me and you in the future like as with your work because it's fascinating to see how how black mirror encapsulates the idea about technology uh, of, of of the present now because it's been going on for like 10, a decade, more than a decade. So it's already a bit <laughs> dated, which is fascinating. But at the same time, well, well, it's about to come and could come in a dystopian sense in the next 10 or 20 years. And so by looking at that, we can understand a lot. It is, it's a different way about doing media theory, which I think it's, it's great. Applying this to uh, uh, you know in relation to capitalism well capitalism has always tried to stifle or to to kind of uh, reduce our imagination in many ways to the categories that are better suited from you know to to not think outside of the boundaries of of capitalism as we know you know capitalist realism and, uh, and all of that is just fantastic and the uh, uh, the fact that the 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 First and foremost, the operation is uh, trying to uh, reduce and attack our capacity to imagine. You know, and what you know, uh, the radical imagination, what, what what the concept that I use from uh, Kastenbizen and, and Haven that they articulate. So when you when you do that, well, you know, you're you can you can a lot of power. You can have your activities, but you are really. Uh, uh, reduced in your capacity for uh, experimenting with new technologies as well, because without the capacity to imagine alternative uses and appropriation, also to think outside of these boxes, how can you? And I think, you know, if we look at the history and the trajectory of social movements around, you know, just decades and maybe centuries, we see that uh, they always had these uh, Technological experimentation is the history of new imaginaries in relation to material infrastructure uh, in a Stiglerian way, you know, also that have come to life. And these things uh, need to be there for a successful, um, effective, strong kind of um, collective action that mobilizes the power of technology. And now we're talking about this and in 100 years, I don't know what, but from the French Revolution onwards, this has always been done there's needs to be this imagination which again is both creative and collective and is a template for action and I, this is what i love of it because many were thinking all right okay this is you're talking about imagination which is some kind of reality that is over there it's you cannot touch it it's vanishing but i always say it comes from imago right the latin imago so it's image you were saying you yeah, know it's something that you form of something that can actually be where then you experiment with it and whatever you come uh, you, you can create is different but it's it's it is something and that's something then Uh, um, can inspire other people and can go on to in this overall kind of circle of imagining and experimenting you know between practice and imaginaries. This is how I I see it you know and um, landscape of signification and we can go on and go on but uh, this is why for me they're really so significant and we ignore social imaginaries of social movement at our own peril if we focus too much on just organizing or other kind of uh, really important aspects, but uh, please, just, you know, symbolic matters and not just because it's some kind of uh, uh, exercise for us geeks, right? (laughs) Much more than that.
0: Good, yes. Well, I think that's a a good point to to, to end on there. So I'll thank you again for uh, contributing to the the podcast today Uh, and I look forward to your future work. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you very much, that was a real pleasure for me.